Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. The movies this week are Watchers and Whispers. See no evil, speak no evil. <laughs> for more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. There's literally, like, a five and a half minute uh, McDonald's commercial in the middle of the movie. What's wrong with that? You guys all like that fucking skateboarding movie that was sponsored by Pizza Hut? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what's the issue I think there's a difference like the Pizza Hut was like product placement just flagrant product placement Mac and Me it's a it's a fucking commercial like it is a McDonald's commercial in that movie seems like you're nitpicking so everybody read that Daredevil got cancelled yeah I kind of figured it was coming I'm not surprised but not happy about it because I kind of thought the, the cancellations of uh, Luke Cage and Iron Fist were a little bit unjustified, so I didn't mm-hmm. think it wasn't because they were bad shows. Yeah, so there's there's got to be some stru- restructuring or something going on. It's yeah, just it's they keep they keep saying it's Netflix, the one that's canceling it, but I mean, twenty twenty bucks says Marvel said okay, we're gonna keep the contract, but you're gonna pay us even more money. <sighs> yeah, makes sense. Just as a ploy to get them to cancel it, so that yeah, they to get them in. to cancel it, so that they can act like they didn't do it to move mm-hmm. it to their fucking sixty dollar a month service that they're gonna have. Yeah, and then come off like, "Hey, we saved it, everybody." Yeah, but we're all gonna see through that, and then we're gonna pay them for their service anyway because we just want to see the shows. Oh wow. I'm not it's sure what gonna, I'm going to do. It depends on how expensive it is, because, I mean, I've heard rumors that they're saying it's going to be 40 or $50 a month, and fuck that. I've heard yeah. rumors that the first year they're going to be come in just under Netflix. The goal of, now, maybe that'll be an introductory offer or whatever, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. saying, if it's $10 a month, I'll, I'm in. If it's, if it's something like $50 a month, though, I just think they'll it'll be up and gone so quickly that it isn't funny. Nobody's paying that. Not like a mainstream group of people are going to pay that. Mm-hmm. I mean, my Hulu, my Hulu is almost like $20 a month and they're on the border of me shutting it off. Good lord. Why do you pay $20 a month? Well, I've got the middle one. What's the middle one? You know, because there's, there's the one where you have to watch commercials, then there's no commercials, then there's live TV, which the live TV one's expensive. Oh. But it's like it's like sixteen bucks a month or something like that. Yeah, that's why I don't pay for the no commercials one. No, I don't know. 
Because it's still weird, because they're still touting it that it's going to be the family-friendly channel. So they're not going to have any of, like, pretty much most of, like, the uh, 20th Century Fox stuff on it. And anything they deem not family-friendly apparently is going to... They're just going to dole out to, like, Netflix and Hulu. That's weird, because then why not keep these shows going? Yeah. Because yeah. because they want to do cartoon versions. But you could you could have a, a Daredevil cartoon on the Disney streaming service, and then have the Daredevil live action show on Netflix, and I don't think they'd conflict with each other. Well, I I think in the greedy corporate business sense they would, because Disney wants to make sure you can only get their shit one place, even if that means the shit's not as good. They want you to only be able to get it directly from them. It's the same reason why their fucking Blu-rays and shit are all overpriced. They're not going to farm that shit out to another distribution company that can make a cheaper product. They're going to fucking screw you and get their money. Fuck Disney. Why do they got to own everything that's good? Yeah, and the, wor- the worst thing is they prove that you know they can make good stuff. I just wish their business ethic was a little better. Mm-hmm. Little son of a bitch. We'll see how it all goes, because yeah. I don't know. Like I say, if they come in at $40 a month or something, no. <laughs> like, yeah, I wonder if they're just counting on that the Disney, like, purist people will still do it and then offset the offset for the people who won't do it. If they think $40 is like, well, the crazy Disney people will pay that, and then we don't have to worry about the the not crazy Disney people who won't. I just no because Weird. there can't be enough crazy Disney people paying forty bucks a month that you would make like because even if you came in at twenty, most people like enough of a mainstream audience would sign up to get the Marvel stuff and everything. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine at much higher than that though. You start to just when you your entertainment at the end of the day, you have to appeal to a mass market. You can't appeal to a yeah a fringe market and hope to get by not not if they're going to be bringing in like the actors from the movies onto their shows and stuff which looks like they keep insisting they're going to do mm-hmm. I don't know it's weird I'm super confused though because like when I was at the theater this weekend the Dark Phoenix trailer came out and they threw up a release date and I'm like oh I could have sworn that was just never coming to theaters <laughs> like that's where I thought we were out with that one and now it's just happening in like June or something and I'm like alright nah, I think I think that one one day was, yeah. They, they may have bumped it a, like a couple months, but I think it was still on track. I the, think uh, what is it? The New only Mutants? one I know that got kiboshed was the horror movie. Yeah, even though it's done and they can just put it out and make money. Right. Oh really? Just it's stupid. A, I, it was done. It was supposed to be like released in two months when they cut it, and they were like, nope. Yeah. That never makes any sense to me. You made it. You know, dump it straight to a streaming service somewhere else. Yeah. They'll throw it on Netflix. Who cares? Somebody will watch it. Yeah, I thought it looked good from the trailer. But, don't know. We can't have nice things. (sighs) Now we're all sad. (laughs) Fucking mouse. Swear to God. They just literally own everything at this point, so it's like I don't even sure, I'm not even entirely sure why they're competing with Netflix instead of just buying Netflix. I don't 
get it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's how they handled everything else in the entertainment industry. Yeah, that's what they did with Pixar. It's like, we don't want to do a Toy Story sequel. Well, fuck you. We're going to buy you and you're going to do it anyway. Yep. Just gradually going around buying up everybody's childhoods. <laughs> they're like, you know what? You know what? Uh, you know what market really works well for us is the people who were kids when all our popular movies came out. How do we establish that market? Just buy up whatever was popular in every generation of kids. <laughs> Just down the line. Got the Star Wars generation. Got the Marvel generation. Got the Pixar generation. Whatever's popular right now with kids, Disney will be buying it in five years. Bunch of jerks. Yeah, stupid genius, rich billionaire jerks. <laughs> <sighs> Alright, well, are we ready to talk about some Dean Koontz movies? <laughs> Partially. <laughs> now that we're already sad? Depends, depends on which one we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Doug, why don't you tell us about Watchers? All right. Which I have a I have a tie-in thing to talk about when you get done with your. Uh, your okay. Uh, so you're making me do it, but it's just to set you up for whatever you've got lined up. <laughs> well, it's relevant to our podcast in a weird way. All right. So Watchers, it, it's about. I mean, it. I guess like the backstory is that there's this lab where they're making weapons for the future and they've genetically altered uh, a dog to make it super smart and they've created like a Sasquatch that has a genetic link to the dog but for some reason things have gone wrong and the Sasquatch hates the dogs and keeps killing them so an explosion happens the dog gets free and the Sasquatch thing is chasing it but uh, the dog is so super smart that it knows to team up with one of the Corys so that it'll get to survive the movie. <laughs> he killed all those <laughs> vampires. He can help me. Yeah. So it literally, the most of the rest of the movie is the monster following the dog from place to place. The dog narrowly escapes. The monster kills all the humans that are there. Uh, and meanwhile, Michael Ironside is hunting down both the dog and the monster works for some weird government agency that I think they made up and uh, it eventually comes to a confrontation where the where Corey his mom and his girlfriend who was one of the early victims of the monster are locked in a cabin monsters trying to get get them Michael Ironside's trying to get them but he's fucking Corey Haim so they don't stand a chance <laughs> <laughs> I like I like that you entrust this much, this much uh, into Corey Haim. Hey man, who walked away at the end of this movie? Corey Haim and the people he chose to protect. See, the only description I could come up with for this movie is survivalist Corey Haim teams up with Airbud to fight Forrest Chud. <laughs> like that's pretty much what I said. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, in in which. That is an insane sentence to say, but man, it works out all right. <laughs> uh, so the weird tie-in to this is I discovered yesterday that for some reason we completely missed a year ago that Corey Haim's mom named the guy who raped him when he was little. Oh, I 
didn't know that. Uh, I didn't either. Uh, please, please don't say Michael Ironside. No, it's not Michael Ironside. Don't do that to me. It was Dominic Brassia. Brassia. Oh, right. I remember this coming out. And this is relevant because he died the other day. And most people would know him as the mentally handicapped guy with the candy bar in Friday the 13th Part 5. Which I was not aware of. Oh, at all. That's just all kinds of sad. At least that's one of the bad Friday the 13th. Yeah. Fair enough. And he's a really annoying character and you're kind of happy when he gets chopped up with an axe. Yeah. And apparently he tried to deflect it and say that it was actually Charlie Sheen, which Charlie Sheen was like, fuck that, that definitely wasn't me. Well, I remember that part. I remember when Charlie Sheen got accused and most people were like, yeah, no, it wasn't Charlie Sheen. Um, And then apparently, okay, his mom was on Dr. Oz, which that's fucking horrible. But she was talking about it. And then she did an interview for People, and she told a story about how um, apparently a lot of the younger actors used to go over to that guy's apartment or house or whatever. He's like a pool table and like all this other shit. So they play pool. And then one time she got a weird phone call from him like yelling so she raced over there and that dude was like sitting on top of Corey Heyman not letting him leave and then so she took a pool cue and threatened to beat him over the head with it if he didn't let him up and then that's the last time they saw him and then Heyman told her beforehand that he had done whatever so it was just so he died the other day and someone's like yeah, fuck this guy, and then posted a link to the article, and I was like, oh shit, I didn't even realize that it had, like, come out, come out. So yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. Um, can, we, can we just talk about you know? Yeah. I yeah, it was just... Ha- I don't want to be happy again. Can we stop saying sad things? <laughs> it was just a tie-in, since we had, uh, we had talked about it before. Yeah. And, yeah. No, it, it... I recognize that we've discussed that before, but it made me sad before, too. <laughs> All right. Well, what did you think? Have you seen Watchers before? I have. Uh, I watched this movie a lot when it was new. Yeah. So it, came out, it came out in like 88. So let's assume it hit VHS in you know, the summer of 1989. Mm-hmm. I, I probably watched it a lot in that one summer and not much since then kind of thing. Oh. Um, so I was anticipating... I guess I assumed it would be a more child-friendly movie because I forgot that it was 1989 nope. when I watched it. Well, I think no, but I actually will. I'll put forth the argument that it is child-friendly by 1989 standards. Um, All right. And <laughs> I was really surprised how much I enjoyed it this time around. Mm. I I think it's yeah, it is a bit cheesy 80s action movie, which and I you could argue that I'd rather it be a little bit more of a horror movie, but that's just not what they were even trying to do, so I'm fine with it. And when Corey Haim goes full John Rambo at the end, I'm just like, fucking A. 
<laughs> just, just throwing Molotov cocktails at government agents and shooting at Sasquatches, and I'm like, good for him. Good job, buddy. Stabbing Michael Ironsides right with neck meat. Yep. It's yeah, when like he when he goes when he gets to that cabin and he runs to the store and just full on goes just starts building bombs and shit like Kyle Reese in that motel in Terminator. I'm like, yeah, I love where this is headed. <laughs> and the movie never, like, you get your big action sequence at the end, but you never go more than, like, ten minutes without the monster killing somebody, and you get, like, the discovery of the body scene every time. And it's like, that's great. They just invent characters just to have them killed off. It's like, well, what do kids do? They go to high schools. So let's have them kill one of the teachers. Uh, that doesn't seem like enough. Kill the janitor too. Fuck it. I don't care. How about a guy comes oh. over to fix their dryer? And, uh... Yeah. How about, a, how about a guy from New Zealand comes to fix their dryer for some fucking reason? <laughs> it's super fucking weird. He's clearly wants to bang them up. <laughs> why is it, Why is he have that accent? Why isn't he just a normal everyday Canadian or American guy? Uh, so what did you think, Noah? Uh, I liked it a lot. I was actually thinking I had seen this before, and I don't think I have, because I think I would have more vividly remembered a Forrest Chud. (laughs) (laughs) That's totally my kind of thing. Uh, I would say, I I feel like I wish there would have been more, a a better reveal on the monster throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like you just get monster hands until the very end of the movie, and then it's... Yeah, and then it's it's kind of fast cuts and stuff. I'm assuming it's budget limitations. Yeah, say, it might be a good thing that they did that. <laughs> the actual monster could be shit. I and think that's the case. If you've got some kind of genetic super monster that's ripping out people's eyes, I kind of wish we would have got some more violent death scenes than we did because typically it was just oh it's got me ah! it, and then yeah. it cut away next scene. yeah I mean it's, it's a 1989 movie if this movie was made in the 70s we would have seen the eyeballs pulled out of the sockets um, but we do they, we do get some good gore as far as just when, they see, when you just see the bodies laying there I mean but besides that I mean the acting's fucking pretty good I mean it's <laughs> Corey Haim acting which I mean it's not like Oscar acting but it's good Michael Ironside. If you're a fan of Corey Haim, you're you're on board. Anytime you see yeah. him, you're just like, okay. That's what I'm saying. If 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 the description of this movie, if somebody says Corey Haim and Michael Ironsides and Airbud and a Forest Judd, and, <laughs> and that does not immediately excite you, don't fucking watch this movie because this is for you. <laughs> and you have to specify 1988 Corey Haim. Yeah, 1988 Corey Haim. Because it could oh, be yeah. like you know. 2001 Corey Haim. Yeah, you don't, like, you don't, oh, have to, you don't technically have to specify. You just have to show them a picture of the haircut and everybody will know it's 1988. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, did everybody like Jason Priestley showing up with his fucking yeah. uh, giant mm. mullet? <laughs> mullet? And, and there's no way those kids hung out with that fat kid. No, they were, they were clearly just hung him around for when they needed somebody to bully. <laughs> Uh, not really, not really that much of a plot point. Uh, just you know, the random teenagers that showed up to be killed off. But yeah, they're like, oh, these guys are friends, and it's like, like you know, nice looking guy, nice looking guy, super fat nerd. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And then they, 
I was just gonna say, at one point they just start chasing the fat guy, like as if they're like the bull- town bullies and they're chasing a kid through town. And you're like, but I thought they were friends like a minute ago. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I think the, the the biggest complaint I might actually have about this movie, if I was trying to like break it down the way a normal movie critic would break down movies, I think the, they reveal the, uh, the length of evil that Michael Ironside's character will go like about halfway through whenever he kills that cop. Yeah. But then they kind of do the weird thing where they like put it back in the bag. And, and let everybody. Oh, no one else knows that he's evil, but you know, but the but the audience knows. I that's which is fucking stupid. Once you know that the guy's evil, he should be doing more evilly shit. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, see, he's not with it. So he's not technically evil. The big reveal we get in dialogue about Michael Ironside is that he is the third experiment from that lab, mm-hmm. and that he is he's. He somehow had his conscience removed. They don't get into the science aspect of how that works, but he's had, he has no conscience and therefore can kill at will. So he kills that cop because he just needs to. Like he just need that cop is threatening to go to the press and stuff. Um, yeah. The weird the video reveal is weird though, because it's like they got they took like home movies of all the experiments. Yeah. And so then it's like oh here's a shot of the dog and then camera pans over here's a shot of the. As Doug put it, the Sasquatch thing in the cage. And then the camera pans over and and here's Michael Ironside. It's just like it's just an awkward reveal. It does seem like they're just saying, like, look at this has magic powers. This like his magic power is just being Michael Ironside. <laughs> Pretty much. At first, like when he announces that he has no conscience, I'm like, it did they just come up with that on set that day? Because Michael Ironside doesn't know how to act like a guy with a conscience. He only knows how to act like a guy that doesn't have one. That <laughs> just edited in a line of dialogue to explain why he's behaving. It's made pretty clear right up front at the beginning of the movie. Like when he shows, he's called in to some suit's office, and they're like, the dog escaped after that explosion or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, like he, I think he says something to the effect of like you need debt or whatever and they're like what are you talking about and he's like well you called me you would have called this guy or this guy if, if you were doing an experiment trying to figure out what happened in the lab you called me though so like, what got out what do I have to find what do I got to kill kind of thing hmm. so right away I mean that's our introduction to the character we're told he's pretty badass he works for the government and it's 1988 so he's clearly going to be the bad guy um, it's just how things work and it's yeah, I think I just think the reveal of him being an experiment is kind of meh. Well, see, and this is where I think the movie is. This is my argument: is that the movie is a bit kid-friendly, because mm-hmm. in the '80s, in a kid-friendly movie, you were allowed to kill stuff as long as it wasn't technically too human. So, like in Star Wars, you can shoot stormtroopers because, yeah, we know they're humans. They're in that suit, so they don't. Yeah, they're in the. Plus, they're space fascists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but <laughs> kids don't understand space fascists. Kids understand they're all in those suits, right? Same thing if you're in like any any movie from the '80s that's set in South America. If there's a large group of people and they're all wearing khaki, that makes them not human somehow. So you can just kill them. 
And I think that's what they're doing with Michael Ironside. <laughs> they're saying the thing is that is so accurate. And so oh, yeah, it's not. It's not my fault. I'm not saying I agree with it. Just so we're clear, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of khaki, but I don't think you should get killed for it either. I would have went with the example of Nazis. But I mean, he's not I'm just, wrong. I'm just no, being no, honest here. No, you're a hundred percent correct. It's just one of those things that it's like, fuck. It's so it's so racist. <laughs> it's hard to talk about it because it oh, makes yeah. you feel racist, admitting that that level of racism exists. <laughs> if you go back to the 1980s. Khaki on a white guy means he's a stuck-up preppy kid who deserves to get punched in the nose. Khaki on a brown guy means he's in a weird South American military, probably from a made-up country, so that you can so that you don't have to have have a country where you can't release your movie, and you're allowed to just kill that guy. Uh, for examples, please watch uh, Commando. That's a great example. Also, you know what else you can watch? All the other movies from the eighties. You know, <laughs> just pick one. It doesn't really matter. Um, Anyways, my point being that the reveal that Michael Ironside is not technically human, but technically a monster, Mm. makes it okay for our kid-friendly hero character to stab him through the throat a few scenes later. And I think that that's why they do that. I think it's, look, he's not human. He's this terrible monster guy. And now when Corey Haim wants to stab him through the throat and throw Molotov cocktails at him and stuff, that's all just okay now. Right in his neck meat. You know what you don't see enough in movies? A kid putting a knife right through the middle of somebody's neck meat. Yeah, it's... I think we can all agree it's something we missed from 80s movies where this kind of shit was allowed to happen. Because as I was watching this, I was trying to put it in context, and I'm thinking, like, 1988, is this the kind of shit that was actually in kid-friendly movies? Or were my parents just irresponsible when they let me watch it? Because I would have been about 10 the first time I saw this. Yeah, I was definitely ten the first time I saw this. And so I'm like, I'm like, I, I probably wouldn't let a ten year old watch this now. But then I'm thinking, like, this is a year after Monster Squad, and in Monster Squad, which is c- very clearly a kids movie, Dracula picks a five year old girl up by the throat, holds her up, and he calls her a bitch right to her face. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's kid friendly entertainment. So I think this is, you know, maybe a little edgier than that, but not that far over that line. <laughs> We need to we need to quit bringing up Monster Squad because you know every time somebody says Monster Squad, I have to watch Monster Squad. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> just, I'm just saying it's consuming a significant amount of my life. Yeah, Noah. Tomorrow, Noah's gonna come home and be like, "Ah, fuck they they totally mentioned that movie that shall not be named." Char will be like, "What's Monster Squad?" And he's like, "Damn it, Char! Now we gotta watch it." <laughs> I just got done watching it. Sit down. <laughs> I'm just going to figure out how to call Noah's house every time the credits are on. I just be like, did you just finish Monster Squad? No! <laughs> okay. I mean, this is one of the best, worst things to happen to me, but still, I just got done. <laughs> uh, Anyways, Brian, you haven't mentioned what you thought of Watchers oh, yet. I, I still really enjoy this movie i like you i watched it like a billion times from the video store when i was like 10 um and then probably about 10 years ago uh man maybe about 15 years ago i actually read the book that it's based on other other than the uh general concept of there's this weird laboratory and this 
genetically modified dog and then werewolf Sasquatch forest chud thing escape during an accident. The the actual like story and characters and stuff are completely different. Oh really? They don't hide the the Dean Coots novel doesn't have a teenager <laughs> who saves the day. No. I'm shocked to hear it. No, the uh the dog just finds a, a guy that's out hiking and then uh you know, pretty much he takes the dog home with him. And meanwhile there's uh uh a lady who's being stalked by a completely separate and not connected serial killer. That sounds about right for Dean Coons book. And then the two, the two stories converge, and then at some point the serial killer and the forced chud face off, and then they have to figure out how to kill. Uh, that just sounds like something I want to watch. Yeah, I want that to be a movie as well, <laughs> not instead of this, as well as yeah. this. So they pretty much use uh, Michael Ironside as like a replacement for the serial killer aspect of it. And then, uh, I will say, spoiler alert, the, it does end happily. And the dog actually uh, ends up, like, they, they, they adopt another golden retriever, and she has puppies. And it turns out the puppies are insanely smart as well. Nice. So, nice little button on the end of it. I, say, I think uh, that's the difference between Dean Koontz and Stephen King. Stephen King goes on weird tangents in his books, but Dean Koontz plots out a completely unnecessary side plots on stuff all the fucking time. Yeah. And they never like have a good resolution either. It's just like, here's this other thing that I also <laughs> wrote into this for seemingly no reason. Like, shut the fuck up, Dean Koontz. <laughs> yeah, but I I really enjoy the book, but I haven't you know, I haven't read it in a while. So I then rewatched the movie and was kind of bummed that the movie wasn't like the book because I, you know, I, I even remember, I'm like, well, this is nothing like that movie. And then rewatched it, like, yep, nothing like it, but it's still good as its own separate thing. Because, I mean, the idea of a genetically modified dog to be super intelligent, and then for what they're going to use them for, which is... They're, they're going to be used for military. They would send the dog in to scout out like enemy camps, and he would kind of st- stroll through, and nobody would think anything, because it's like, oh, it's just a fucking dog. Whatever. Chase him off. And then they would send in the forest chud, as Noah likes to call him, to uh, come in and just decimate everybody. Which is a, like a great concept for like a horror sci-fi type thing. You, you know, you you let that loose into like a suburban neighborhood just see what happens the only thing that confused me a little about it is they kept referring to this as like a failure but i actually think like what they got whether it's what they were shooting for or not was this monster was like hell-bent full-fledged hell-bent on killing that dog and taking out anything that the dog got in here and Mm. the dog was smart enough to evade it that's kind of perfect at least that (laughs) into your enemy camps like that dog running and hiding and the monster will just keep killing everybody yeah well i don't think it was originally supposed to hate the dog that's the yeah i think conceptually they want to be able to go back in later and pick up that dog and use it again yeah but but then yeah yeah the side effect which they use in the movie which is actually a really good like sort of character thing for the dog and the forest chud 
is of course they create this beautiful golden retriever who's super intelligent so that of course they lavish all this attention and love on it and then they got this super forest chud as noah says again but they, it's like oh that thing's gross and ugly and we don't want anything to do with it you're gross and ugly and so then the thing gets jealous of the dog and then yeah shit breaks down so i think it's interesting it's interesting how it plays out which is really cool well yeah and it, it is kind of the old like it's it plays into the trope of like okay science shouldn't be creating things because they're going to backfire and it's going to mm-hmm. kill everyone but at the same time it it sort of plays on the Frankenstein, like the James Whale version of Frankenstein, where it's like, if you would have been nice to that thing, it wouldn't be a horrible monster. Like, yeah. all you had to do is treat it the way you treated the dog, and okay, maybe it wouldn't be as smart as the dog or whatever. But they, they point out that basically it's the, the Sasquatch is intelligent, it's just insane. Right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's very interesting, and in a, like a darker, more serious movie, they could have really got into that. Here it's more of a background plot point. Yeah, and they, I was gonna say they made four of these movies. Yeah, I, didn't. I, I only ever saw the second one, and they very much do not seem to be connected all that much. That doesn't surprise me. Because, like, I figured they would just have Corey Haim's character, maybe not Corey Haim himself, but his character in another one. But they don't. But they still have a you know super smart dog, and then weird science experiments. Well, yeah, that's that's the thing. You can do the. It's easier to just have another super smart dog than it is to have Corey mm-hmm. Haim come back or expect people to remember who his character is. Yeah. Well, Noah, would you be interested in watching the other sequels? Sure. With uh, actors such as Mark Singer, and then uh, I believe Mark Hamill was in one during his really down period in the nineties. <laughs> Yeah, but it always it always brings a smile to your face when Mark Hamill pops in anything, right? Oh, it's Mark Hamill. Remember that period in the nineties where he had a mustache? <laughs> I think this is during that period. I'll, I'll watch it for sure then. It's <laughs> like, who does he think he's fooling? We know who you are. Your Ned Flanders mustache. <laughs> Ned Flanders mustache. That's fantastic. Uh, so this movie is like super hard to find. At least, like, it's not streaming anywhere. Can't even find it. Like, we had to kind of do some digging to find it streaming, like, on a YouTube. Didn't we find it? Isn't it, like, on... Archive.org is where we eventually found it. Where it's not supposed to be. Well, whether it's supposed to be or not, it's there. And if listeners... I I would highly recommend people, like, watch this movie if you're a fan of these, like, Mm -hmm. semi-kid-friendly horror-type movies, horror-action movies, because um, this, this was a really good one, and it's, yes, it's Corey Haim going John Rambo at the end, but you have to know that's what you're getting into when you sign up for movies yeah. from this era. Yeah, and I mean, for me, being 10 and a Corey Haim fan, this was, oh, like, yeah. everything. This was, like, yeah, yeah, see, Corey Haim's badass. Like, Corey Haim and a super smart dog teaming up to fight almost anything is a self that's what watchers 2 should be is they just start a detective agency and fight some other monster <laughs> i don't know why like hollywood doesn't just see these obvious options yeah. in front of them 
Is it is it weird that I feel like the sequels, if they just continued to make sequels to this movie, that they would just eventually follow the exact same chain as the Airbud movies? It would just be like Corey Haim and the the Golden Retriever to save Christmas. Yeah, but that means that Corey Haim and the Golden they Retriever form a, would go they to form a basketball space. team. They would go to space. That's all that matters. It's worth it. I'd sit through the basketball one to watch them go to space. <laughs> Uh, so so apparently, there's an there's another film series called Watchers that is uh, uh, da, da, da. they look like religious films. That's weird. Yeah, I think I've heard about those. The uh, Mark Singer is in the sequel. Oh, uh, oh eh, here you go. And the plot description is a genetically re-engineered dog develops a psychic link with a monster created in a lab experiment, which causes a riot. So, as you can see, they stretched for what the story would be for the sequel. Just, so it shouldn't almost be Watchers 2, it's just Watchers again. Yeah, <laughs> still watching. Watchers, <laughs> Watchers 2, Bud the Forest Chuck. <laughs> uh, plot keywords are dog. <laughs> Second part. <laughs> sequel. Monster and experiment gone wrong. All right, let's talk about the first Watcher movie still because that one was fun. Do you guys have any other favorite moments besides like the obvious uh, stabbed at the throat? Uh, the the janitor guy getting impaled on the thing. That was nice. That was nice. That serves him right. He called the cops. <laughs> um. <laughs> I do think there were there were weird moments where the dog being super smart got weird. Too far, like when he learned how to type. And yeah, play Scrabble. Right, where, yeah, where he typed with a pencil. Uh, <laughs> the game, the game of Scrabble was the one for me. Like when he like gets into an argument with Corey Haim over whether something qualifies as a word, and he brings him a dictionary. <laughs> like, uh, Pressing your luck here, guys. I'm I'm about to lose it here. Hope that monster comes back. I like it. I think my favorite part of that is that it's an abbreviation, and that technically that's cheating. <laughs> yeah, but it is a dog. Yeah, <laughs> but it's no. it's a, it's a no. It's a super smart dog, which has actually developed the ability to understand that it can cheat to win. Uh. You know, what I, you know what one trope I found was hilarious in this movie? The dog does the old, like, bark once for yes, twice for no, or whatever. Mm. They never explain it. He just does it, and the humans all just play along like they know. But they don't do the, they don't have the scene where they have to walk you through why they're just barking once for yes and twice for no. So I'm like... Well, it's not... No, Corey Ham does that. Does he? Yeah. Is they're in the That's living room, and he goes, okay, bark once for... Once for yes, twice for no. Do you oh, did I completely miss that? I guess I missed that. I yeah, have to watch this movie again. Did you watch the Canadian version? You'd be like, well, it'd be really impolite for him to tell the dog how to talk, so we'll it just stars, take it out. It stars the Canadian Cory, so obviously <laughs> every version of this movie is technically the Canadian version. But according <laughs> to Wikipedia, it's a Canada-US co-production. So. I do like the part where he's like, no, Mom, he's super smart. Check it out. Uh, uh, there's hot dogs in the refrigerator. If you go get the hot dogs, I'll let you have a hot dog. And that dog's like, oh, I'm getting these fucking hot dogs. 
Ernie. Let's say is, no squeaky is, toy. Come here. Say, is your dog currently no. playing with a squeaky toy? <laughs> yeah, <hold on>. <laughs> Apparently <laughs> not as smart as Einstein. No. Thank you. Really, really too bad you didn't get one of those super smart dogs that knows enough not to interrupt with podcasts. <laughs> Well, usually right. he's pretty good. Whenever I'm recording, he just lays back there. But apparently, he went. <laughs> he's like, "Fuck this! I need something to do." Uh, all right. So, recommend from all three of us. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like uh, a pretty big recommend. I think it's. it's this is a thoroughly enjoyable movie. Even like if you're a fan of these types of movies, it's great. And if yeah. you're not a fan of these types of movies, it's just good. So either way, watch it. Yeah, I'd agree. I do feel like it's kind of underrated. People, people, when you bring it up, they're kind of like, "Oh yeah, that Corey Haim dog movie. That, that's good." But like, nobody ever really talks about it. Well, nobody's seen it since like 1989. Like everybody just stopped watching it and stopped talking about it. And I don't understand. Like it doesn't it doesn't even seem like it's got a DVD release out there. From what I found no. when I was googling around, like it must have at some point. I assume. I just looked on Amazon, and you can get a uh, DVD of I think at least the first two, like it's a combo DVD. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's going for like 70 bucks on Amazon. So, not easy to find. No. Yeah, yeah it's I, I parts one and part two. was all three, and it was 150-something. Jesus. But like, where's just, this should be one of those can't you call your friends at the the Blu-ray company and have them just put out a release of this, Brian? Don't you have that power? <laughs> I wish. Uh, looks like Artisan put out the last one, the one that's 70 bucks, And I think that company got bought by Lionsgate. And Lionsgate currently has their little Vestron label that they're just putting out, you know, sort of their boutique label for putting out horror movies and nice Blu-ray. So this seems like this would be a perfect addition to their best round line. I think I'd buy this. I think I'd want to have it available to rewatch at a moment's notice. Totally. Way way better than I expected it to be. So. I would like some commentaries and special features. Yeah, none with Corey Haim, though. That would be sad. Yeah, this, the thing is, who are you going to get? Like, You can't get Corey Haim, you can't get the dog. Those are your two main characters by a long shot. Like <laughs> Iron Sides? Yeah, that's a fair point. Guess. <laughs> I think Michael Ironside avoids doing commentaries. He should realize he just is the person in the movies. I just assume he's that cold-hearted killer that he plays in every movie. Uh, this is the part where that goddamn dog outsmarts me again. He's all, all angry about it. You could get the uh, you could get the the girlfriend character. That actor's probably around, considering she was going by one name in 1988, and now she goes by two names because she realized she's not that special. Oh, she's going by one name. Yeah, like if you're watching the credits and it'll pop up and it'll say like Lala, like or Layla or something like that, and I just assumed that was the dog because it's only one name and humans have two names, but no, it's the girlfriend. <laughs> Layla Slotman. Uh, da, da, da. Well, this is no, like, this is boring. They don't give any reason why she went by one name. I think, but I do think if you go to the MDU, it actually says like she played it, but then in brackets it says as Layla. Like she just, I just as the first name. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's what I'm looking at. I'm reading like her bio right now, but there's no reason. Oh, uh, here's why. 
uh, she's related to the Zappa family. Oh, so right. that's why she was probably going by one name because uh, they're Zappas. <laughs> I, I called up the IMDb thing and it blows my mind. Somehow Corey Haim is like the fifth person on the list or sixth. <laughs> like, what the hell? Why? <laughs> How is he not the, first, the star of this movie? Uh, I don't know. She was born the same day as Kirk Cameron, apparently. Really important information for sure. Thank you for that. It's in the trivia section on her IMDb. Yeah, that's because she's not famous and no one cares about her. <laughs> but it said she's still active in movie productions, most recently as a costume design. All right. <laughs> I guess yeah, she, technically we are. Didn't we do a, an episode dedicated to costume designers one time? That's true. So I guess I guess I have to apologize. <laughs> Stand by the fact that you made a good point. And if you can put together a show with some movies where she's done the costumes, that that would be ideal. Well, let's look at her IMDb. What did she do costumes <laughs> for? <laughs> Save that one for off, Mike. I'm not sure if the listeners need to hear that negotiation take place. Uh, her last movie was in 2010. That movie somewhere. I think it's the one with the Sofia Coppola movie? Yeah. She played... Oh, she played herself. Well, that's weird. That's super fucking weird. She played herself? She's not famous. Uh, Don't you have to be famous to play yourself? Yeah, I would think so. This is her first movie, too. Watchers is. Yeah. And she's not bad at it. Like, There's nothing wrong with her acting. No. In it. Uh, she was also in Dream a Little Dream with the Corys. Right. So she had two, two go arounds with Corey Ham. She hit, hitched herself to that rising star. <laughs> you no, know, once once you go, Corey, pretty, career's pretty much dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's not one of Corey's angels. So her career isn't that done. <laughs> uh fucking freak show. <sighs> um. All right. Well, we teamed this up with another Dean Koontz-based movie based on our friend Tony, who I'm trying to remember the conversation now, but I believe he said we should watch Watchers, and then just we were like, oh, maybe we should team it up with another Dean Koontz movie. And I think I was going to suggest Servants of Twilight, but I think Whispers came up, and we just were like, oh, okay. So I'm trying to not get Tony on the hook here, but... No, this was all him. Tony, you motherfucker. <laughs> uh, and Noah, since I know you love it so much, why don't you tell us about Whispers? Okay, so Dean Koontz was attempting to sell one of his stories to be made into a movie, uh, and apparently the only people he could get to work on it were cast and crew from Cinemax softcore porno and... Uh, <laughs> Fucking Lifetime movies, basically. Uh, it is a movie about a woman being harassed by a guy who's trying to... It seems like he's trying to rape her at the beginning, but then he's trying to kill her. It's real fucking weird. They keep saying that he's in another town. He can't possibly be. She's crazy. He stabs him. He dies. He comes back. Mystery, mystery. There's a bunch of weird vampire references. You're not sure what's going on. And it all turns out to be some weird flowers in the attic bullshit of he's actually two twin brothers that think they're the same 
fucking person because their mom was all crazy and locked them in a weird beetle-infested basement. <laughs> end, end of movie. It doesn't deserve any more plot <laughs> synopsis. You're not wrong. So, the first time watched for me, and I gotta say, this movie was pretty terrible. Uh, I was excited to see Chris Sarandon was in it, and then was quickly sad because that just means Chris Sarandon was in this bad, bad movie. Alright, I'm, I'm gonna be the guy that steps in here and go, I think you guys are being way too harsh on this movie. Wow. I don't fucking understand <laughs> I I'm gonna tell you that, like, I think the opening scenes where, like, where she's being stalked and attacked are pretty, kind of effective. Not great, but pretty good. And it's very intriguing when they think the guy's dead and then all of a sudden he's back. I think that was very interesting. And I think, you know, having Chris... Yeah, yes, I did. Yes, I think it was <laughs> intriguing. The movie definitely lags a ton in the middle where they have, like, unnecessary plot lines that I assume are from the book because like there's a whole thing where the cop like Chris Randon's the cop his partner and him are working another case at the same time and that case results in the other the partner being shot and then Chris Randon kills the guy and none of that is relevant to what the, the main storyline at all and it wasn't particularly interesting or good so I don't know why it had to be there the stiffest sex scene I've ever seen in a movie. Sex scene is not great, not not particularly well executed. But then, well, the weirdest part of the sex scene for me was the fact that there was no nudity in it, and then like she's running around the house naked for the next scene. And I'm like, I would have personally, if I were gonna use nudity in my film, I would have had it in the sex scene and not in other random scenes. But. Anyways, I, th- I do think when when it gets to the point where Chris Sarandon and the, the female character go on the road trip to track down this guy and they're doing the hardcore investigation and they're meeting with people and we're figuring out the plot and then we eventually get the big reveal of like that this one guy is actually two guys and that they were the product, they were twins and they were the product of incest and there was this whole plan for the mom to keep the baby by claiming she adopted it so people wouldn't know that he was a product of incest, but then when it was twins, that threw her whole plan off, and that's why she became this abusive crazy woman. I find all that pretty interesting, and I think mm. I, I've, I've, you know, not again. I'm not going to try to say this is the greatest movie ever, but I just don't like mm. considering the shit we watch on this podcast. <laughs> I think this was very passable. So I think I think the third act was pretty interesting and neat, and had some like I did. I legitimately was wanted to know where they were going to go with it and was trying to piece it together and couldn't. And I think the performance from the the guy that plays the twins is pretty good. He's a creepy, weird killer guy, which you need in a movie like this. So I I just think you guys are just being overly dismissive of it. I don't want to oversell it. I I just don't think you guys talking about it like it doesn't even deserve a plot description. I feel it doesn't deserve a plot description. I would say, of my opinion of this movie, this is easily the worst movie I've seen in a year. And I watch a lot of bad movies. That's, yeah, see, that's not possible because we've been podcasting for the past years. Yeah. <laughs> None of those are as bad as this movie. Like, I, I'm trying to think of one, another one that, like, I hated. And I'm pretty sure any of those I would rather watch than have to watch this movie. 
it's it's boring. It's badly edited so that it, parts of the movie like almost don't even fucking make sense, and you're trying to keep track of it, but it's so fucking boring, your mind's wandering, so you're not even fucking paying attention to the plot, and then of course you're like, oh, wait, 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 what? What was going on? I thought it was some occult thing. Wasn't there a pentagram earlier? Wait, what the fuck? <laughs> and I just think, I think the, the acting's bad, the music's bad, the script's bad, it's, in like a, in, in the worst sin of all, it's fucking boring. Every fucking second of this movie is boring. When the dude is in the basement being swarmed by a giant tidal wave of beetles, it still manages to be fucking boring. And I don't like that should be cool. You know? Yeah, see that I have to say that like, to me that was cool. I, I don't see how you could find that boring. I can understand like I can completely understand the, the middle part of lifetime movie. It's a lifetime movie with a basement full of Beatles, so it's not like it's it fucking engaging. But we watch movies all the time with terrible acting and poor editing and stuff. But they're not boring. <laughs> boring is the greatest sin. I think I I think I know why Doug likes it so much. This was a can- Canadian release. Um, yeah, so this is isn't that. The theme of this week's show is Canadian movies. <laughs> Thought it was. Yeah, I was just looking to see where it premiered, and it just says release date, seventh so of September, nineteen ninety, Canada. And it, there's no like U.S. release date anywhere. Well, this movie it cannot be well liked by very. <laughs> it's like a yeah. made-for-TV Canadian movie. Because <laughs> the movie is like I don't it's I don't think it's it has a legitimate release since VHS. So yeah. yeah, like the copy I borrowed off the internet wasn't bad, but it wasn't it was in four three and it was like, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the problems I had with it were some of the same. Like I thought it was really boring. Um I feel like there was no context to why this guy was after her at the beginning. Yeah, which is fine if that, they. That's what made it interesting. If they reveal like a good reason later, but I still don't feel like there was ever like a good reason. And so then I was like, well, I don't even care why this guy's going after her because they obviously didn't care because they didn't even come up with like a good reason for why he's going after. Her. <clears throat> um, I thought the reveal was interesting, somewhat. I was like, wow, that's kind of fucked up. But at that point, I was so bored by watching Chris Sarandon and her go on dates and have yeah, awkward the, sex. After and, weird stiff sex scene, that sex we've got to revisit that because it's the weirdest fucking sex scene I think <laughs> I've ever seen in the movie. It's so stiff and emotionless. It's it's just weird. It's like watching two mannequins have sex. <laughs> but conceptually, I think what they're trying to do there is like he's all upset about his partner dying. He's drunk off his ass and she's just kind of like comforting him and neither of them are like, he's not really into it because his mind's not there. She's not really into it because it's just a sympathy thing, but it's not particularly well executed. Wow. You, you really got way more into it than I did. I, it, when I was watching the movie, I was really trying to figure out why the partner existed. Cause he's like a huge fucking asshole at the beginning. He like, 
accuses her like the first time she's almost raped and fights off her accuser he accuses her of making it up she's covered in bruises and there's a fancy fucking knife on the floor of her apartment <laughs> he's like ah how do we know that's not her knife with the pentagram on it <laughs> like uh and so i'm thinking okay why is that guy here and then he gets killed off and i'm keep trying to figure out how that's going to play back into the storyline and i the part of the movie where i agree with you that it was boring is that middle part that ends up not connecting back to the rest of the story at all anyway. Yeah. So I think this movie had a, like a good beginning and a good ending and the middle was just, I agree with you, not, not good. Yeah. See, I don't even find the beginning good. Like, I was just kind of, <laughs> yeah, man. I agree with you except for the beginning and ending part. <laughs> like, you didn't, just didn't think it was cool when she's like coming in and out of her apartment building and that guy's like on top of the elevator and shit? That stuff is cool, but there's no context to like why he's so obsessed with her. And that's kind of what bothers me i'm just in the beginning of the the beginning of the movie though when you're watching that you're not supposed to have any context right it's it's, i know but then they still never give you any reason so i'm just like well this is all i I was gonna say it makes it it makes it hard to engage with the movie it like in it it's just some weird thing happening on the screen that makes that's that's every mystery movie doesn't tell you what's going on at the beginning though no. And it is, it is, the reason is explained is that he, part of his weird psychosis is that he thinks his mother comes back in other people's bodies and she's just the next one that he thinks is her. But that's, ex- but it's at the very end of the movie. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. But, but for that first part, you're not engaging with it because it's just some weird guy being weird. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I guess I just don't like. So you would want the like the the like literally like like with gargoyles last time where they give you like the big plot description at the beginning of the movie so you know everything that's coming. That would be preferable no. in this movie. Anything I, would be preferable to this movie. So uh, you can you can list anything. No, I don't need that. But I mean, it's literally like he shows up, he attacks her, uh, she calls the police, and then it's kind of like okay. And then they just move on to the next scene. Comes back, attacks her again. She stabs him, kills him. And then it's sort of like, okay, like there's no real like back and forth about like, well, why is he doing this? Why blah, 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 blah. It just, I don't know. I didn't find the interaction between her and him and then her and Chris Sarandon. And then I didn't find any of that engaging whatsoever. I, I, I'm not saying there's not a lot, not room for improvement. She could yeah. do a better job of like freaking out and being like, "Oh my god, why me? Why me?" Like that kind of thing, which might have made it more like more obvious that she had no, I guess that she had no reason to believe that this guy was after her for good cause or anything. Yeah. But it's again, I think the whole point of the movie is they're setting you up. Here's all this weird shit happening. And now we got to figure out what it is. I mean, I yes. like his I like his weird Radu impression from some species that he does through the whole movie. Yeah, th- what's with the vampire stuff? I didn't I didn't get that like at all. He's just a crazy person. Yeah, because he thinks his mom's coming back in a vampire. Like he associates the idea of coming back from the dead as a vampire as her being reincarnated in these other bodies. Oh, all right. Yeah, it's supposed to be. I don't know. They kind of they, they mention it once, and then I was like, "Oh, okay, that must be something." And then I just it never really seemed to play into anything after that. I, I kind of get what they were trying to do, but they just did it so badly that it 
that it was irrelevant that I got it. Yeah. I can't believe I'm the one defending a bad movie. I know, right? It's super weird. <laughs> it, can be, it can be bad if it's not boring, but this one's bad and boring, which that's just, that's no bueno. And I just can't understand how you found the beginning part of this movie boring. Again, like when you get to those middle, that middle area, like I can see your complaints. There's no, there's no ramp up. Does that make sense? There's no tension built before he starts attacking yeah. her. There's That's no insane. menace. There's no menace. It feels once again, it feels like a lifetime movie. But so, the second attack that there is, like that's where we've seen him like stalking her over and over again, and well, she's but hiding in her room. And... But once again, it's just staying at the same level as it was from the very first second of the movie. I don't. It's just hard to explain. Like I said, there's no it, because of the way they did it. It feels like there's no tension. Like you just don't care. Like I don't care. I don't care that she's being harassed by this weird dude with his Radu voice. Like I just don't care. Yeah, and at first I thought, oh, is this called Whispers just because he has a weird whispery voice? That's really dumb. Did you find out that it's, I guess, the sound the Beatles make at the end? That he is then conjured into whispering in his head? But Yeah, I don't really care why they call the movie Whispers. <laughs> it wasn't a major deciding factor in whether I enjoyed it or not. No, I know, but it's just, I don't know, all around, just was not a fan. I was so I was so glad that Watchers was good after watching this because I was like, "Fuck!" As far as movies I've seen that are based on Dean Koontz stuff, his his batting average is real, real low. Yeah. What else is based on Dean Koontz stuff? I don't even really know. I've never read a Dean Koontz book, just so we're clear. I don't know much about him. Yeah, he's got he's kind of hit or miss with his books too. So let's see what let's see what pops up when we go to IMDb. I was going to say Servants of Twilight because um, I've read that, that book. Is. I've read that book. Um, so this crazy like cult comes after this woman and her and her young kid because they believe her kid is the Antichrist. And so she's trying to figure out a way to protect them while this crazy cult keeps coming after them trying to murder them. And they made like a movie version. So... <clears throat> Did that you ever seen. see the uh, episode of Chips that Dean Coots wrote? I did not. Oh, but, okay. Just curious. Uh, we could have done Hideaway. I somewhat have a guilty pleasure for that movie. It's got Jeff Goldblum in it. Yeah, I kind of like Hideaway. Uh, and we all know Ben Affleck was the bomb in Phantoms. Yeah. So we could have watched that. I, I haven't seen that since 1998. So. Uh, we could have watched Mr. Murder, which has uh, Stephen Baldwin in it. Mr. Murder is not good. Uh, yeah, as I just said, Stephen Baldwin in it. <laughs> yeah, Soul, Soul Survivor, the one with Billy Zane, not good. I don't think I've seen any of the movies on this list. I'm just Odd Thomas is the only one that I thought about watching. Yeah, that I was think not the, bad. The Frankenstein TV movie, I think I liked the idea and then saw like a trailer for it or something. and didn't look good. Mm. Of course, Demon Seed. Can't forget about that. Oh yes, Demon Seed. So yeah, we're pretty much down to like Watchers and Demon Seed are the ones that we can agree are good movies on this list. <laughs> well, me and Noah like Hideaway. Yeah, Hideaway's alright. The book's really good too. Yeah, the yeah, book's really I good. I don't think I've seen that one. Um, so, for the, for the movie version, 
uh, Jeff Goldblum gets into a car accident and dies, and then they are able to resuscitate him. And he is sort of a medical miracle where he was under, he was dead for so long and they were able to bring him back. Like he's like the most, the longest ever to have died and then brought back to life. 13 minutes or something like that. That's just because he's Jeff Goldblum and better than the rest of us. Yes. Because uh, life finds a way. I see. I see. And uh, he starts having weird flashes and finds out that he's sort of psychically connected to a killer. And through research and plot points, he finds out that the person he's able to like see through their eyes uh, had the same thing happen to him where they died and were brought back to life after being dead for a long time. That's interesting. Yeah. So the book's really good. It's a little different than the, the movie, but I think the movie is still pretty decent. And it's a crazy serial killer who's like got a lair in a fucking abandoned theme park. Yes. Which is pretty sweet. I dig that. I gotta find me an abandoned theme park to spend some of my time in because it seems like a cool place to hang out according to movies. Um, and then it's... They've never made a movie out of it, but I would recommend the, the book Lightning, uh, which is a time travel story. Uh, so this... This girl has memories of this guy who always looks the same age that just randomly shows up at different points in her life to like, like one of them, she's working at a grocery store and somebody tries to rob it. He comes in and stops the robber and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, hijinks ensue when someone comes after both of them. So it's probably my favorite Dean Koontz book, so. Do you remember the name of the one where it's about the the two kids that are best friends and it's kind of like uh, the good son or the bad seed or something? One of the kids, basically, you just find out that he's just a fucking psychopath. I don't. I don't think I read that one. I, I can't remember the name of that book for the life of me, but you want to. It's good. Like, it's intense, and there is just this. By the end of the book, this sense of menace from the, the crazy kids just ridiculous where you just you, have, you never have any idea what that kid's getting ready to do to somebody <laughs> um, also Doug if you've seen the movie High Tension yes. every the entire part of the entire part of the movie up to the gas station is literally the exact same from a Dean Koontz book called oh, what the fuck was the name of the the book uh, intensity. Okay. It's pretty so much the, exactly the same. The good part of high tension. Then. Yeah. Which yeah. I totally agree with. The bad part weird. of high tension is that weird wannabe twist ending that is fucking atrociously terrible. Yes. And insulting to the audience. I fucking hate it. I've only um, seen it once because I refuse to watch it ever again because I've never been so too. insulted by a film. <laughs> me I too. Would, I saw that shit in the theater and walked out like, what the fuck? I, yeah, I watched it at home and I was literally like yelling at my TV like, where the fuck do you get off treating me as <laughs> stupidly? Oh, yeah. I'm fucking still pissed about it. But it was weird because like I watched the movie, hated it, of course. And then like I was trading books back and forth with my stepmom because we kind of have the same taste in like horror books and stuff. And so she gave me this Dean Koontz one and I was reading it. And I'm just like, wait, I've read this before. And then was like reading it, reading it. 
I'm like, holy shit, this is high tension. And so, like, I got pissed and just stopped reading it because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that shit in a book form. And I even read like a detailed synopsis, and it literally up to the gas station is the exact same story. Like, I don't know how there was not some sort of lawsuit because it's that close. I don't know. I wish somebody would have sued those people. <laughs> all right. Anything else before we move on? No, it sounds like we're all just agreeing to disagree on this movie. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I only recommend it in the fact that watch it so that you all can write in and tell Doug that there's nothing to see about this movie. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm I I feel like I've I've been put in the position of defender of this film, and I don't want to oversell it. But I just don't understand how you guys can be this bothered by it. I'm not bothered by it. I'm just like, oh, that was horrible. I don't ever want to watch it again. It's rough. Like I said, when something's that boring, it just it makes watching it such a fucking slog. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, all right, so we got three pieces of feedback after having a feedback drought for a while. Um, I'll start. Sean wrote in. Uh, he said, hey, guys, not D&D, not rock and roll, not the Smurfs. Talking about his satanic panic story. Uh, for me, it was about 1987, the height of the Lost Boys with the satanic panic hit home. In the late summer, there was a killing in or near a cave system not far from my home that put some people on edge. Some genius at the news station must have been watching Geraldo Rivera and decided to slap the label vampire on the killing. Just like that, every one of my friends had to talk with their parents about we weren't allowed to see the Lost Boys because somehow that would turn you into a vampire. We did what any other kid might do. We went out and saw the Lost Boys. Seemed like we turned out just fine. Thanks for putting on the, the show. You guys do a great job, Sean. You have all the things. That's like the least offensive to me is the Lost Boys. It's, it's hilarious that parents are so ridiculous that Lost Boys would be offensive to them. <laughs> Kid comes home singing Cry Little Sister. Like, where did you learn that from? <laughs> I think the only things that you might pick up from watching the Lost Boys, especially if too many times, is maybe like a feathered mullet or, or <laughs> ambiguous sexuality at best. I could see that. I could I could almost picture like the uh the far right Christian guys having more of a problem with it because of the homosexual undertones more so than the vampirism. Vampirism's pretty non offensive in that movie. Yeah. Fucking weirdos. Anyways, yeah, everybody everybody that was around at that time seems to have something that they weren't allowed to watch because it would cause them to turn into the devil. <sighs> People be crazy. Uh, Alright, Doug, you want to read Trevor's? Yeah, so Trevor also wrote in regarding satanic panic stuff-ish. Uh... He doesn't really have any of his own stories to contribute, so I was wrong 30 seconds ago when I said everybody has one. 
<laughs> all right. Thanks a lot, Trevor. Um, anyways, is it, our episode did remind him of another movie that combines D&D and the Satanic Panic called Darkest Dungeon. Came out a few years ago by some guy who managed to get the rights to make a movie of the Jack Chick track on the evils of D&D. Very low budget, 40 minutes long, available in parts on YouTube, and he sent us the trailer. Um, so I'm not really familiar with these Jack Chick track things. Are you guys? No. So they're, they're basically like um, newspaper cartoons right? written by this psychotically Christian guy. And they all are like, that's so where, you know, it's like, oh, you... You touched yourself. You're going to hell now. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like that's. But okay. they're they're kind of like a big pop culture thing because they're so fucking over the top that people just find them ironically fucking hilarious. You know what I mean? That, that clearly somebody could not have possibly meant. You know what what this thing is? That it's clearly somebody making a joke. And then you find out that it's real, which makes it even funnier that somebody's that fucking stupid. <laughs> okay. See, that's what I was trying to figure out when I looked him up. I'm like, are, is he making real points? Or because I just sort of Googled it just so that I could speak about Trevor's email. And I'm like, is he making real points or is he a satirist or what? Anyways. But it looks like the. Uh, the, the movie that we've been sent to trailer to leans heavily into that. Did you guys watch the trailer? No. Uh, it's it doesn't look good. I'll tell you. It looks like it's it's real low budget and low budget actiony stuff doesn't always work. But it could be interesting to see if if you're uh, if you're familiar with this Jack Trick Chick stuff. I have trouble saying my name even, but yeah, it, it looks like the movie could be interesting. Kind of like over the top, like ridiculously over the top. Kind of like all right, let's everybody, let's get ready to RPG. And they're all getting ready to play role-playing games and stuff. And I don't know, if that's your thing, it could be funny. So somebody will be in charge of putting that up in like the Facebook group, I guess, the Dark Dungeons trailer. No one can be in charge of that. Uh, <laughs> so that everybody has a chance to see it who's listening. But that's it. That's all Trevor had to say. Uh, all right, Noah, you want to read the email from Riku? Absolutely. God damn it. So much warning. Riku! Right, uh, hello, I come to you with a question. You're in a one-on-one -on -one fight. You get the choice between a new aluminum bat or a six-inch non-serrated knife with the knowledge that your opponent gets the weapon you do not choose. Which one do you pick? This question only has one answer. I'll let you guys answer it. What, what do you got, find, Doug? Find out if you're fools. Well, I do. I am a little worried that there's some sort of trick going on here because the descriptions are so specific. I don't understand why it has to be a new aluminum bat. I feel like maybe there's something I don't know, but aluminum bats and all the ones I've ever seen have been altered in some way, so if they're new, they're different. But I definitely am going bad. Mainly because I think with the knife, you're, you have to get in way too close and you are forced to be on the offensive against a guy with an aluminum bat. And I just feel like it's A, less work, and 
be easier to be the guy doing the defensive maneuvers with the bat than the guy with the knife. Mm-hmm. So that's my thought. That is also my choice because I feel like I could do some real damage with a baseball bat compared to a six-inch knife. I mean, don't also, get me wrong; the, the knife is gonna is gonna suck if you get stabbed with it. But I feel like you like one hit upside your ribs or your head with that aluminum bat, you're pretty much done. Plus, once you get them down, you just beat them a whole bunch more times. Yeah. What do you say, Noah? You're both correct. Right. You want the, you want the you want the weapon with the most reach. Yeah. That's yeah. that's assuming the other person has equivalent fight skills to yourself. <laughs> the person with the better training is gonna win. Oh yeah, that's just a given in any fight. Yeah. So so if you're fighting somebody who knows how to use a knife and you take the bat, he's gonna stab you to death. And there's nothing you can do about it. But if you're both equivalent levels, according to math, the person with reach should always win. Mm. Yeah, I mean, plain and simple, you just, as he's coming at you with the knife, you hit him before he gets close enough to do any damage. Exactly. Well, and the bat takes absolutely no knowledge of, like, what you're doing. A knife, you know, you can superficially cut somebody you have to know where all their soft bits is and shit. Bat, you just hit something and the bone breaks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was an interesting thought process when it came in, though. I love how if people are going to start randomly sending us in these types of questions, <laughs> you have to be real specific. The way Riku was. That was Riku did it perfectly. So, Good job, Riku. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. So what did everybody watch since last week? No, uh, I'll let you go. I watched a few things. Uh, I watched the new Coen Brothers movie on uh, mm-hmm. Netflix, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. It's on my list. Yeah, mine too. It's bizarre. It's a weird, like, it's a, uh, an anthology movie. Yeah, that's, what, that's what has me intrigued, because the Coen Brothers doing an anthology movie it seems like a brilliant idea. It's... I've heard too that they wrote these stories over the course of like twenty years, and that some of the, like even some of the actors were given these scripts like a long time ago. Yeah, I, I find that interesting, but it's it's this weird. I don't, I, it's hard to describe the voice of the film because it's like they're trying to capture different aspects of old west mythology through the lens of mythology if that makes does that make mm-hmm. sense to you guys like yeah like the stories aren't supposed to be realistic or make entire amounts of sense they're just supposed to capture tone and it's for the most part it's good i would say i like some bits better than other bits mm-hmm. i think a few of them are a little bit more nihilistic than <laughs> maybe i'd prefer like a couple of them are fucking downers. Like, fucking Christ. Uh, the one with Tom Waits in it is a fucking awesome. And it's almost entirely silent, and it's almost entirely Tom Waits by himself wandering around doing things. It's still so fucking good. Tom, Tom Waits is such a fucking good actor. It's sad that he didn't get into acting earlier in his... Uh, lifetime because he's so fucking good 
Yeah, I'm definitely interested in checking it out. Just haven't got around to it. Yeah, I would say good, good, but weird. And I, it's one of those movies. I don't know if I just like randomly recommend it to somebody because I can't say who the fuck's gonna like or not like this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the Coen Brothers, it's hard to tell too. Because sometimes if they do some of their weird stuff, it becomes like the most brilliant thing in the world. And sometimes it just doesn't work for me at all. So, yeah, and I will say like each each little vignette in it is completely fucking different. Like they're in just in almost every fucking conceivable way, down to like the use of colors and like the. Almost like, it's almost like they all take place in completely different fucking worlds, if that makes sense, even though they're all in the Old West. But it's pretty. Parts of, parts of it are pretty. I do pretty good. James Franco is doing good James Franco acting instead of fucking whatever the fuck he does the rest of the time. <laughs> I'm at a loss for that guy. I don't get it, because I think he's clearly a good actor, so why the fuck is he so terrible in so many things? <laughs> like, what What stuff do you consider a bad James Franco? Pretty much any time he's working with Seth Rogen or any of those people. Uh, he goes, he just, he plays the same fucking thing in every fucking movie, and it's stupid. Uh, he plays that same weird stoner fucking dumb character. But he does it good in Pineapple Express. Yeah. No, yeah, uh, you're you're just objectively wrong when it comes to that statement. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. And I'm almost entirely sh- sure that in those types of movies, he's not acting. That's just James Franco, like being James Franco with somebody pointing a camera at him. Well, that I would agree with. Uh, in which that's that's, that's no bueno for me. Oh. But I watched that, and then I watched uh, the first half of the new Joe Bob stuff. Yeah. Um, I haven't I haven't finished that off yet, but I watched uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and uh, Hills Have Eyes. The Hills Have Eyes is almost fucking, even if you've seen that movie a thousand times and don't want to watch it again, it would be worth putting on Shudder just because he interviews uh, Michael Berryman. And Michael Berryman's such a fucking interesting person. <laughs> Just everything, everything about him. Every t- and the more you learn about that man, the more you like him. And I actually thought he was dead. It's the weirdest fucking thing. I thought Michael he died. Berryman? Yeah, I thought he died like three years ago. Oh. I swear to God. But no. yeah, he he didn't. No, no, I know he didn't. He, <laughs> he was on the TV. I thought I saw him. Well, you know, some of the people on the TV did die, though, right? Like, do we have to walk you through how TV works? I'm just saying, unless Joe Bob's interviewing a ghost, in, in which that's even fucking cooler. <laughs> even more reason to watch. But I haven't got a chance to watch the other two, which I'm actually... It's weird. I probably should have watched them in reverse order, because I'm more excited about the other two movies than those two. I've seen Texas Chainsaw a, a million fucking times, so that's mm-hmm. not... Other than listening to Joe Bob talk about it, I don't know if I yeah. needed to watch it again. I find it weird that they had Texas Chainsaw first. I feel like that's the one they would have closed with, but maybe they thought it would have been too late since they're only doing four. But I don't know. 
Yeah, but I mean the last the last two are uh, I can't even remember what the name of the movie is, but it's Takashi Miike film. Yeah. Which they're always fucking. I watched like the first ten minutes and I was like, well, I think I'm done with this. The, his movies are some fucking next level Japanese shit that I like, and I know I haven't seen that one yet. So, but sometimes they're so nonsensical it's hard to like fucking understand what's going on. And then, and then, what's the other one called? Blood Rage, the the Tiny Tim horror movie. Yeah, which I've never seen before. I yeah, I have not seen it either. And fucking, it's got to be terrifying because fucking Tiny Tim's just terrifying. Just he's just a terrifying human being, and he wasn't trying to be. It's a fucking weirdo. And so I watched those two. They're both real good. Joe Bob's fucking commentary is fucking spot on, like it always is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, like interested, I'm, interested, I'm interested to see his Christmas marathon. Yeah. See what that's going to be. Have they yeah. already announced that? Is he doing a Christmas one? Oh, yeah. They announced that like a while ago. Sweet. That he was coming back for Thanksgiving and then doing a Christmas one as well. Man, I hope I hope he just does every every holiday but Halloween. Well, I've heard the the rumor is that then he's just getting a regular show like starting next year. So I think it'll just be like a weekly Here's a movie, type thing. I, I don't know. I kind of like it. I kind of like the marathon format. Yeah, works for me. But why does it work for you if you didn't even watch them all in a marathon? Well, because I fell asleep. Because I'm an old man. <laughs> but I kind of like I like the not knowing what the movies are before it's like time to watch them. Does that yeah. make sense? And I feel like once yeah. it goes to a show format, they'll start advertising. It's gonna be. I don't know. And then it won't be good. We'll have to see. Uh, and then, because there was another marathon, I watched uh, MST3K2 Mac and Me. <laughs> I know. Both came out on the same day. I was like, son of a bitch. What am I going to yeah. do? I ain't got enough that's, time. That's pretty much what I said. I was like, how am I supposed to decide between these two things? <laughs> these are two things that I love so fucking much. Yeah, and I knew they were doing another season. I was shocked that it's like, oh, yeah, here it is. I was like, oh, shit. All right, I guess. I mean, and they're both revivals done the exact fucking right way. You know what I mean? Like, Joe Bob's show is Joe Bob's show. They didn't fucking fuck with it, fiddle with it. They just, they knew what people liked, and they did that. And while MST3K, obviously, they brought in a, a, a new Joe, but they did the exact same thing. Like, they kept, they did not lose the spirit of what that show is and the reason why people like it. And like bringing in Patton Oswalt was fucking genius. <laughs> because him as TV's son of TV's show is fucking so good. Or TV's Dave, sorry. Frank. Frank. Too many names. There's been a thousand side <laughs> characters in that show over the years. Give me a break. <laughs> but but Mac and me, for all of you that haven't seen it, is like it fucking it, E.T. is a train wreck. Like it is, it is god fucking awful. But it's god fucking awful in a delightfully childish way that makes you happy. It's got the most uh, flagrant product placement of almost any movie that I can think of. And the only other movie I ever compare it to is Enemy Mine. 
because it's 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 really really bad enemy mod. Only instead of enemies, they're just best friends from the beginning. <laughs> the only besides it being on MST3K, which I haven't watched it yet. Mm-hmm. The only other thing that I remember most about Mac and me is that every time Paul Rudd is on Conan uh, repping a movie and they go to play the you know, hey, let's watch a clip. They always just cut to the clip of the kid in the wheelchair rolling down the hill. He going off this thing into the water. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Every time Paul Rudd is on, like they have not skipped a beat every time he's on. They go to play the clip and it's the clip for Mac and me. And then they come back and everybody's laughing and then they're like, okay, let's play the real clip now. Yeah, the 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 MST3K jokes that they're pulling throughout the whole thing are pretty fucking there. That's it's some of the funniest MST3K stuff I've seen in a while. Nice, because you know usually it's just kind of that hammy humor. Mm-hmm. In, in this one, because of a lot of very specific things that go on in the movie that are easy to make fun of, they just hammer on those jokes over and over and over again. Like the fact that the aliens whistle the talk, so they're all whistle talking to each other and shit. Yeah, I don't even know if I finished last season of MST3K. Not for any like reason. Like I was enjoying it. I think I just was like, well, I watched a bunch of it, so maybe I'll just watch some other stuff, and then never got back to it. Yeah. I think I get. I think I went through it twice. Jesus. I just love it. I mean, they, they're they're my people. They get it. They get my love of bad movies. <laughs> Amanda is not a fan of MST3K. I see. I, and I totally get it. I, I totally understand why people don't like it. Mm-hmm. But all the reasons they don't like it is the exact fucking reason I like it so much. <laughs> like, like, it's the yeah. exact opposite. It, but then those switches just must not be flipped in my brain. Because... <laughs> Yeah, they're just like listing off why they don't like it, and you're like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand why you're saying these are bad. Yeah, but I do have a cool wife. As if you guys remember, last year for my birthday weekend, we went up to Chicago, and they had uh, they were doing MST3K live that weekend. So, and she not only got tickets for the regular uh, show. They were also doing a super secret show where they weren't saying what the movie was beforehand. Yeah. And so she also got tickets for that one. So we went to both of them. So even though she doesn't, she doesn't like MSC3K, she sat through two shows of it live and enjoyed herself. So That's good. See, it's good that she's a good sport about it. Yeah. But I told her, if they're doing those Hallmark movie, uh, Christmas movie, ever do those live i'm never going (laughs) (laughs) i'm not paying it back those things are fucking terrible that's that's a line you won't cross yeah and i feel bad because like i i used to make fun of her about it like i'd come home and she'd be watching one of those movies and i'd be like oh i bet i know what happens i bet at first they don't like each other but they're gonna be in love with each other by the time it's over after she's saved whatever family business she was trying not to become a part of and so she get like mad at me and i'm just like 
All right, fine. It's not your fault if you're right every time you say that. <laughs> I know. Oh my god, she wished on the magic wishing Christmas tree to get married in the Christmas tree place. And now <laughs> she's back in town and her ex-boyfriend runs the Christmas tree farm. <laughs> but he's, al- he's almost getting ready to marry her rival from high yeah. school. Oh my god, how's this movie going to end? I don't know. So much suspense. Yeah, then she got mad at me, and so, like, if I say anything, she just gets super pissed, so I just don't say anything. And then I try to think about it, and I'm like, well, I mean, pretty much every horror movie I watch is pretty much the exact same plot, so maybe I shouldn't uh, give her too much shit no, about it. No, horror movies have different layers to them. Uh, is that what it is? Yes. Trust me. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, and I think occasionally... There are horror movies that surprise you. There's no such thing as a Hallmark movie that surprises you. They're, Could you imagine the the, the, the look on women's faces if they watch the Hallmark movie and at the end the guy's like, "Yeah, like this was fun and all, but I'm gonna go marry the girl I was engaged to when you came back to town." So. I, had, I had a lot. I, know, of I never girl, made any problems with you, but I'm gonna go marry her now. She's got way more money than you, and I can stop running this Christmas tree farm and just watch football on Sundays. So I'm going to do that. <laughs> now, the other day, I, I did come home, and she had one on, but she really wasn't watching it. Like, she was, she had just turned it on to have something on while she was, like, looking at something on her phone. And I did sit down and try to make it into a horror movie. Yeah, I can like, see that. There was some weird scene. There was, like, five minutes left. Where, like, I don't know, they must have accomplished whatever goal they wanted to accomplish. And she looked over and saw, like, Santa Claus waving at her. And nobody else saw him, of course. And so I just randomly whispered, seven days. (laughs) (laughs) She thought that was pretty funny. Uh, all right, this is like one of the longest tangents in a while. <laughs> oh, oh, that's pretty much it. I, that, the only weird thing is I noticed uh, the the marathon of MST3K. A few of the movies are new-ish movies, which is fucking kind of weird. Yeah. Well, I knew they were trying to see if they could get uh, rights to some newer movies, just have some new material to go through. So. Yeah, like... Like one of the movies they did was Atlantic Rim. So yeah. The weird Pacific Rim knockoff by, yeah. uh, I think it's Asylum. Did that oh, one. it's totally Asylum. And that may, be the, be Asylum. that may be the only way that I watch an Asylum movie. Yeah. And we are not, I, I'm not reviewing it because I haven't finished it. I only watched the first half and then I kind of ran out of time and had to go do something else. But holy balls, it's bad. Yeah. Yeah, like imp- impressively bad. So <laughs> uh, maybe I'll have that finished for next time. What did you watch, Noah or Doug? Uh, let's see. Well, last week I did promise you guys more Rocky. Oh yeah. So I didn't have as much time as I was hoping, but I did manage to rewatch Rocky Four, which mm. is of course one of the greatest movies ever made. Saw it in the theater. Yeah, so a guy punches Rocky's friend to death, so then Rocky has to go fight that guy in Russia. That is the entire plot. Yeah, and he can't train properly, so he has to go to Russia to train, to train like he trained. Yeah. So it is literally 
a, a situation where this movie is just less a movie and more like a series of music videos. <laughs> it is, it is, it is a book-ended training montage. There yeah, is a beginning, is. a training montage, and an end. And there is no there, other movie. There is like, there's a, a point in this movie, and for the record, I love this fucking movie. But there's a point where there's a training montage and an entire like song plays is that hearts on fire song that plays and then rocky's like running and then he gets back to the cabin where he's been staying and adrian's there and she's like i'm here to help you train now rocky and he's like oh yo adrian thanks for coming to russia turns around starts running again full another song training montage <laughs> like you, you gotta have at least as much time between your montages as each montage is. If you have a four minute montage, you have to have four minutes of non montage before you can go back to a four minute montage. That's the rule, or else it's not really a movie. There are like a couple of the montages are surprisingly good, like the the one where like so Apollo has just died and Rocky's driving around town feeling all sad and there's all these flashbacks to their fights from the previous movies and to them training from Rocky 3 and that the song No Easy Way Out is playing and I'm like that's a really really good montage except they played the again they played the entire song <laughs> and it's like well that's a little long and it's one of 15 montages in this movie <laughs> so that's a lot it's, it's it's a lot. I did the math one time like years ago, and I think it's over sixty percent montage. This movie seems about right. It's like I yeah I I it's still super fun to watch, and then like it's just Rocky just punching a Russian guy for a while. And it's like that's fun, but none of it makes any sense. And like Rocky's strategy in the final fight is to get punched so many times that he'll be really mad, and then he'll punch the guy even harder. It's like that's not that's not gonna work. <laughs> that's not good advice going into a fight for anybody. Yeah. So so your plan in fighting the guy who just punched the guy to death is to stand there, letting punch you. Yeah. To be fair, in Rocky Five, he does have uh, brain problems. Yeah, and that makes sense and is fair and reasonable. That's probably the only thing about Rocky Five that really makes sense. <laughs> Did you ever watch uh, Electric Boogaloo, the Canon documentary? No, I did not watch that. Uh, well, it's funny because they talked to some people who worked on some of their movies. And, of course, they did Masters of the Universe. Yeah. And so, apparently, Sylvester Stallone visited the set. Since he's friends with Dolph. Okay. And uh, he was talking to somebody. And I think somebody was just complaining about Dolph Lundgren. And Stallone looked at him and went, wait, you actually gave that guy lines? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right. You should watch that documentary, though. It's good. I should watch that, but just for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next thing I actually did watch, I jumped right up and watched Creed again, which mm -hmm. is a fantastic movie. I think I talked about it a lot. I rewatched it just before Black Panther came out. And was super impressed by it. And I think I talked about it a whole bunch on a podcast back then. So I'll try not to go on and on about it this time. But it's yeah, like you guys have seen it. I take it. Yeah, I, I have. Yeah. So for yeah, for people who haven't, like you know, basic plot line is so it turns out Apollo Creed had a son that no one knew about. Illegitimate. Yeah, an illegitimate son. He uh, wants to be a boxer. He wants Rocky to train him. 
he's you know he was being having a successful other career but was kind of drawn to boxing naturally rocky doesn't want to train him the rocky does train him it it sounds really cheesy but it's very the drama in it works really really well there's like there are moments in this film that are just executed perfectly like there's a scene where they're in like this hospital room so spoiler alert rocky gets cancer during the movie and he's there's a whole thing where he's not gonna get treatment but the other guy will only keep boxing if rocky gets treatment yada 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 but then there's this moment where like rocky's getting his chemo and he's just sitting in the chair with the iv attached to him and creed is sitting in the chair next to him all of a sudden rocky's just like well wait a minute what are you doing he's like you should be training and the guy's like well, I'm going to stay here with you while you're getting your chemo. Like, there's no question I'm not leaving the hospital. Rocky's like, that's fine. Get up. And they start hitting the music from that. And then we get a training montage of this guy training in the hospital while Rocky's in chemo. And it's just these perfect little moments of just the musical cues and things like that. Of just like, that's fucking badass that he's going to train in the hospital so that he can stay with Rocky and it only works because the drama has worked to that moment and you yeah. care about these characters and you believe that they care about each other. Yeah, so it is where they take a premise that could be super cheesy but make it work really well in that movie. Yeah, like the, the plot descriptions of all the Rocky movies all sound kind of the same, but some of them are these super good dramatic films, some of them are sports movies, and some of them are just cheesy mm-hmm. fun like Rocky Four is. And it's yeah. like it's weird how they pull it off, um, because like say it's just it's just a guy training for a fight. Why is that interesting? Well, it's interesting because they spend this time. Similar, I, I, I said all this about the first Rocky. All the good Rocky movies spend a lot of time with the characters. They spend a lot of time in the world, so we get to know these guys. We get to see them go through some things that have nothing to do with boxing, just so that they can will care about them when they're finally in that ring getting punched. Right, and that's that's important, I think, for for movies for me to work anyway. Like a, a sports movie, like Rocky Four, there's gonna be very few that I would enjoy watching, because it's just like, okay, he's just gonna punch the guy a bunch. That's that's your plot. Is he's gonna punch the guy a bunch? <laughs> so it's, uh, I don't know if I need to see that. Yeah, I I thought it was interesting, sort of how they tackled Creed. It's sort of a weird dynamic of how he sort of feels like he's living in his father's shadow, but then also feels like he has no claim to being his father's son. Yeah. And how weird. that sort of butts up against each other, but how they use it for dramatic purposes and stuff. I don't know. They did a really yeah. good job of it. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting how he like, like in the movie, how he gets like a title shot, but part of the, one of the conditions is he has to take on his father's name and that he kind of struggles with that. And it's like, well, that's really interesting that you got into boxing kind of because your dad was a boxer and now you're, you don't necessarily want to be known as his kid, which is, it's, it's a weird dynamic, but it plays out really well in the movie. And yeah. A lot of that is the, I think the performances are really strong. So. Uh, did you ever hear how that movie came about? Uh, probably. <laughs> Uh, Googler came up with this idea in film school. Oh, really? Yeah. He's like, we should do, like, I want to do a Rocky movie, but I want to do it about Apollo Creed's son, not about Rocky. And then when he was finally in a position where he could talk to somebody about it, he pitched it, and they're like, 
Huh. Sounds interesting. Let me call Sly. And then talk to Sly. Sly's like, that's brilliant. Let's do it. Yeah, and I heard like Stallone got involved and maybe beefed up the Rocky storyline a little bit in order for mm. him to be in it. Yeah. Um, but I like for me that works because I think Rocky's just this naturally likable character that's existed for like forty years at this point. And mm. it's like it's you want him doing something, you don't want him doing nothing in the movie. Yeah. So the other movie I did I got to was Creed Two. And Rocky plays a much smaller role in that movie. And the movie still works really quite well. But there are large segments of it where Rocky's not around. And you you feel like you're missing him just because mm-hmm. you want this guy around. Like he's he's gone from being like the, the lovable loser at the beginning of the first Rocky to being like the grandpa character that you just you just want him around. You know, I want I want grandpa coming to watch my sporting events, even though he doesn't do much. <laughs> he just <laughs> it's it sounds silly to say, but it's the truth. Uh, did you hear the news that Sly said he's retiring the Rocky character? Uh, I did not hear that officially, but I feel like it's pretty clear from the movie. Okay. So there's a moment in the movie. So Creed Two is for the plot is basically uh, Ivan Drago. We we meet up with him at the beginning of the movie from Rocky Four. He's his life's been gone to shit basically since since he lost the fight to Rocky, like he lost all his funding. So he has to go live in a shitty party Kiev and he's, his wife left him and everything. Just basically the entire country of Russia just turned their backs on him. Um, so him, he's been raising his kid as a single parent and raising his kid just basically as nothing but a boxer. Please tell me that like part of the plot point is that Russia purposely went to shit just because they were all pissed that Ivan Drago from Rocky four. So they're like, let's ruin our own country in protest. They don't get into that Aww. so much. But it is it is it's like heavily implied that like major people high up in the in the Russian society, like government officials or whatever, were just like, fuck this guy, he lost. Right? <laughs> so yeah, so with with Creed now being so the movie opens with us meeting up with Drago and his kid in Kiev. It flashes back to Creed, and he's now. I, th- I think they say it's something like he's had six fights since the end of the last movie, won them all handily. He's getting his title shot. Conveniently, if you remember the first Creed movie, he um, bet his car against somebody in a gym. That guy's now the champion. Creed's gonna gets to, gets to win the belt off him and win his car back all at once. So he's on top of the world. And the Dragos show up and be like, you know, they, they start using the the angle of, like, I killed your dad, I'll kill you too kind of thing. So a lot of people are like, well, you got to fight him. Other people are saying, like, that's just classless. You shouldn't give him that guy a title shot. Rocky basically says, I don't want to be involved in another fight with Drago. There's a, you know, he, he kind of talks about how Apollo died and talks about how he's still not fully recovered from that fight and alludes to the brain damage and stuff that we talked about. Of course, like that fight ends with Creed being seriously hurt. Drago gets disqualified. And now the question is, will Creed ever come back and fight again? Or is he just going to stay home with his wife and kid? He's got a wife and kid now. And 
guess what? He eventually does come back and fight. <laughs> and Rocky does eventually come back and train him for that fight. Um, that's like, it's none of it, it's very predictable how it plays out. But the interesting thing from the Rocky perspective is Rocky comes back, takes him off, trains him, like teaches him how to be a real tough guy instead of just a technical fighter. So now he can fight and beat Drago or whatever. When the moment ends, Creed wins that final fight, and they're all going into the ring. You actually get Rocky go. He's like, Rock, come on in, man. And he's like, nah, now this is your moment, kid. And Rocky takes a step back. And so we're seeing like the ring with all the people charging it, which happens at the end of every Rocky movie. Except that Rocky isn't in the ring. He's sitting back from it, and he just sort of sits in a chair, and that fades off. Mm. And you're like, yeah, that's him saying goodbye. So, and there's, I think Rocky has one more scene in the movie after that, but it is literally just him signing off. So if they do, if they do another Creed, like if he has to fight Mr. T's kid next movie, I don't don't think, I don't think Rocky will be there. I need a fool. So, uh, seems like I saw a headline that Clubber Lang was talked about being involved in this movie somehow as well, but they thought it might be too much. So they just didn't do it. I was I, my dream was for a post credit sequence where they're just like, like like a Marvel like mid credits just in phase <laughs> in and there's just Mr. T like with a kid with a mohawk and he's got his hand on his shoulder like yeah we're next like, but that doesn't happen. Uh, so, uh, anyways, I did end up really liking Creed too. Um, yeah, partially because I'm a sucker for Rocky movies. It's more of a sports movie. It's less of a drama film it's about this kid trying to get his guts back to get back in the ring and all that kind of stuff um i mean there's i think there's four or five on screen boxing matches in this movie as opposed to like go back to creed there was like one at the beginning and one at the end kind of thing it was it um which is consistent with a lot of the rocky movies they don't have a lot of boxing in them despite the fact they're boxing movies um so yeah creed 2 is uh it's a little bit more of a boxing movie it's a little bit more of a sports movie but I think it works really well. They make the Dragos into real characters as opposed to like the cartoonish bad guy that Ivan Drago was in part four. And you actually spend a little bit of time with them, not a lot, but and you see like, like the younger Drago, he's like, when his dad is finally, you can see that the dad is trying to get back in the good graces of upper Russian society and try to like get back to where he was his glory days. And the younger kid has no interest in that because he's been raised in this shitty life and he's like, I'm just here to be the shit out of that Creed guy so that I can get my title from me. It's got nothing to do with trying to impress anybody else. So that, that's an interesting dynamic. Nice. So I, I, yeah, I definitely want to check it out. There is a moment early in this movie where Drago and Rocky sit down in Rocky's restaurant across the table from each other. And Drago's like, it It really humanizes him because, like, Rocky's like, you know, all that stuff, that was a long time ago. And Drago's like, and not for me. I'm like, you're a hero in your country because of what happened that day. I'm a menace in mine. Like, it's, it, it's, it really does put a human character on this cartoonish villain from the first movie. It's funny because they give, uh, they give Dolph Rundgren lines and he's fine with it. It's, he's not bad at the job or anything. <laughs> It's contradictory to what you may have heard in certain documentaries. Um, 
But yeah, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. So if you're a fan of the Rocky movies, like it's not like these Creed movies are going to be any kind of a letdown. Which is pretty impressive because it's like part eight in a movie series. It's 40 years after the original. And they're still going strong. It's really just one bad movie in the mix out of eight. Mm-hmm. And it's not that bad. It's just a 90s movie. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to have to make it out to the theater. Check it out. I, did, I liked the first one. So. Yeah. And I kind of spoiled it there, but I don't feel like I did any disservice eh. to the film. Like you said, it's 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 got to be predictable. You know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, Bye. like it borrows heavily. Like structurally, it reminds me a lot of three, but with the atmosphere of like the first Creed movie. So you know, it's, it's like I said, less cartoonish villains, more real characters, which is what I like in these movies. Anything else? Uh. The only other thing is I got caught up on Walking Dead. And I don't know if you'd had a chance to as well, but I thought... Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, I'll just say, like, from my perspective, after that, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago and then did the time jump. And it's like, wow, they really saved the show, in my opinion. I was, I've been fading gradually on that show for a long time. It has been super interesting since the time jump. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out how all these characters got where they are, like, Daryl's doing his like soul survivor thing, living on his own in the woods. It's pretty neat, and I've been really liking it all, rediscovering the world. Um, and then that final like mid-season finale or whatever they're calling it, when they just yeah. stop putting on new shows in the middle of the year for some reason. <laughs> I loved how they they leaned heavy into the horror atmosphere and the horror visuals, and I'm like, God. Yeah. Finally, my zombie movie, my zombie show is finally a horror show. It's about time. It only took you eight years. Yeah, and it made me very happy. <laughs> sort of not going forward with what I, I thought they were going forward with, but making it something so much cooler anyway with yeah, zombies I, talking and whatever. Yeah, and I don't know, if, I don't know if we should spoil that or not, but it's. No. It's not what I predicted based on the previews. Now, I, I don't know for people who've read the comics, maybe what happened is completely predictable because I, I don't keep up with them. But yeah, I had heard something about what this group is called that they yeah. were they were going to be on the show. I just didn't realize that's what it was. So good so, yeah. <laughs> No one's having a fight with his dog. Now it's the fucking cats. <laughs> From now on, when we log into the college, you're gonna have to leave your camera on. No, we all gotta see what's going on with all your fucking animals. Don't talk about zombies over there, and you're getting into a fist fight. With <laughs> well, Shar usually goes to bed before we're done recording, so she shuts the bedroom door. And this time, she just so happened to trap both the cats back here, and they both want to get up in the same window, so they're having a fucking battle of knocking each other out of the fucking window over and over and over again. <sighs> yeah, yeah, but I am excited to see what happens in the second half. Yeah, and I hope they keep playing up like this dark horror stuff because that the final scenes of this week's episode when they were in the uh, graveyard mm-hmm. and it's all like fucking foggy and zombies are coming out of the out, out of the mist and everything. And I'm like, that's just fucking cool. 
Like, yeah. that is so cool. It's, and I'm, I want to get the rest of the details on these guys. Like I say, all that is really interesting. Mm-hmm. So, see how it goes. Uh, is that it? Yeah, that's all I watched. Uh, I watched a couple movies this week. I watched uh, Hush, which is uh, the Mike Flanagan movie. Which is that is... the Stalker, the Girl in the House, that movie? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's one of the ones I hadn't just hadn't checked out. So I'd always like stop on it on Netflix and then be like, eh, I just don't feel like that's the movie I'm in the mood for. So I'd keep looking for something else. But finally, I was like, yeah, let's watch that. I, I've been meaning to catch up on it. So yeah, it's a, a woman who lives uh, sort of out in the woods by herself, like in a cabin. Um, she's got a neighbor, but they're like far enough away that can't even see their house from her house sort of situation. So she's deaf and also mute. And apparently she had meningitis when she was younger and it messed up her vocal cords and did something to her hearing or whatever. So uh, then we find that there is someone who is uh, killing another character in the area, ends up at her house. And so then it becomes sort of this cat and mouse game where he's stalking her and since she can't hear that sort of plays into it, that he's able to sneak around a little bit more without alerting her to stuff. And so then she has to sort of fight back the, you know, not die. And, uh, yeah, I feel like I ended up enjoying it. I thought I feel like they did a good job with it. Uh, it was intriguing enough to keep my attention and I feel like did some cool stuff. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, it when I watched it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I was a big fan. So I think, uh, yeah, that just about solidifies just about every Mike Flanagan movie I've watched. I've enjoyed. So I still haven't watched uh, Absentia yet, which is his first big movie. But I'll have to give that one a watch too. Yeah, he's... Like with with Hush specifically, they did a really good job of playing up the horror elements of it and taking just a very simple idea and making it legitimately yeah. creepy. So yeah, it was good. I like it. There's a part because he's got like a mask on, and there's a part where she writes in lipstick because she's got like these floor to ceiling glass windows or glass doors, and so she writes on with, on, with lipstick on the window like, uh, "I haven't seen your face. I don't know what you did." I won't tell anybody. And he like reads it. He's standing there so she could see him. And he's standing there reading all this and then looks at her and then just reaches up and takes his mask off. Yeah. I so love then it's, it, it's just like, oh, fuck. Like, he does not care about that shit at all. He literally just wants to kill somebody. So, yeah, it's pretty much game on at that point. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it recommend it's on netflix check it out uh then the other one i watched is a movie called cam that is also on netflix um deals with a, a cam girl there are these weird sites that like apparently you can go on and um essentially these girls will be on a webcam and it doesn't even necessarily have to be like pornographic it's just 
they'll be like, oh, look, I'll, like in this movie, like you see a couple sessions of hers and it's like, well, I'm just going to sit and eat this steak or whatever. And then people will tip her money. Cause she'll be like, well, if I get up to like, you know, 50 tokens or whatever, then I'll, I'll, you know, eat this with steak sauce or something, you know. It's people who have weird fetishes that necessarily don't translate to being pornographic on screen. Okay. Yeah. It's 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 a thing. Um, so it deals with this girl who is one of these cam girls and just she's at the beginning of the movie striving to get in the top 50 because the more tokens that get donated to her during her performance, whatever you want to call it, uh, can raise her up in the ranks on this specific website. So she's trying to get in the top 50. So I'm trying to think what she pretty much starts doing these really crazy, like, um, she did one where it, she had a friend of hers log in as like an anonymous user and basically it's very much like a horror type thing where he's like I'm going to slit your throat or whatever and then she either blocks him and then he gets just another account and comes in and starts saying all this really crazy shit and then donates a ton of money and that gets other people to donate a ton of money and she's like oh what you want to see it you want to see it and then she just like slits her own throat like on camera so there's like blood all over and then, of course, at the end, she reveals that the whole thing was, you know, um, fake. That it was all special effects. Stuff like that. But, you know, people still show up because, like, oh, she does all this crazy shit. So she starts getting a reputation. And so people start showing up. Um, and then it sort of deals with sort of the jealousy within the other cam girls, like, in that community sort of like you know in that online and how other people start trying to sabotage her and all this stuff um but then one day she goes to log on and it won't like her password doesn't work but when she goes to her channel someone is on it and it looks just like her looks like it's in her bedroom and it's running live the website like she calls support they tell her like and we don't have access to run old old video of you on the website so this is this is running live and she doesn't understand how so there's some weird version of her still on the website doing all this crazy stuff but it's not her and it becomes like just this weird sort of horror type thing um I thought it was good. I read up on it afterwards and found out that the writer um, is actually a former sex worker. So there's a lot of stuff that I found interesting that they put into this movie because they try to just make her like, oh, she's just a girl that does this stuff. It's not like she's not like a deviant or anything. There's no nothing like super crazy about it she just does it and she enjoys interacting with the people and i mean she makes money off of it so why not um but then they they add stuff in that when she finds out there's someone pretending to be her on this thing or whatever so she the website can't do anything for her 
So she calls the cops and talks to, and, you know, two cops show up and they talk to her about it. But the only thing they're really focused on is that she's a sex worker. So the guy is just kind of looking at her like, oh, I bet I could get her to have sex with me when I'm off duty or whatever. And just ask her like weird questions about being a sex worker rather than focusing on the reason she called them. Which I thought was interesting to bring little things like that that I've heard some people have had uh, that have been like sex workers have had to deal with when they have to call the police for something. That they don't take them seriously and more just look at them like, like, oh, I could probably get them to sleep with me when I'm off duty type stuff. And so there's a lot of like little things like that that I feel like really add some like... um, some realism to it and uh i just yeah i I overall i I enjoyed it it's kind of hard to explain but if you watch it it'll make more sense but yeah i don't know worth a watch i enjoyed it it's not like totally crazy gory horror or anything it's more of like a psychological type thing but definitely a recommend for me sounds weird kind of interesting yeah totally it's just yeah it's like who 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 is playing who is quote-unquote pretending to be her on this channel even though it looks like it's filming where she always films which is in her bedroom looks just like her and then starts trying to investigate what's going on and all that stuff and it leads down some interesting uh uh some interesting paths that I didn't see and just the revelation ultimately maybe people some people won't be satisfied with how they sort of explain everything but I don't know I just thought it was interesting just an interesting sort of story to kind of go through and not and not uh, worry too much about the the if the story makes sense or not but yeah recommend for me Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Noah, why don't you tell us what we're doing next week? Uh, next week, we're going to uh, delve deep into the Quaid with uh, Enemy Mine and oh. uh, Inner Space. Okay. Whew. I was worried about which Quaid you were talking about. <laughs> Quaid. Quaid the less terrifying. Especially when you said deep dive, I, I was concerned of what we were doing. Uh, oh yeah. Ooh, maybe uh, the following week we should go to the opposite. Oh, uh, I don't know about that. The anti-quade. Uh, maybe Dennis Quaid's the anti-quade. We don't know what the rest of his family's like. Yeah, yeah I'll have to look into that. <laughs> Somebody can do that research for next week. Uh. So yeah, no, you have to have your webcam on. You have to wear a mask of Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> While you're, you're doing fuck, the review. You're gonna fuck me? You're gonna fuck me? I'll fuck you. <laughs> so fucking weird. How are they from the same family? How are they brothers? I don't know. <laughs> the only thing I can think is like a twins situation where one got all the good genetics and all the other one got all the shitty genetics. Well, then they'll learn to be friends at the end. That's what counts. 
gross. Styrofoam cup. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.